So, we will continue our little road trip together with the hindrances. And um, let me just say a little bit more about the hindrances because so many of you in the interviews today, and it's characteristic at this stage of the journey that, are, that we're very aware of our busy mind. And the beautiful thing about the journey with the hindrances is that they're intended to support you in um, characterizing the activity of the mind. So it's kind of like a shortcut of being able to, to name the characteristic of the busyness in the mind. So we can name and notice the characteristic of, of desire, of aversion, of sloth and torpor. It's not just a busy, busy chatter where it's all racing together, but there's some things we can discern from looking at the hindrances, all of which hinder our capacity to be fully present to this moment. So um, it's useful to think about them that way, as we can look at the busy mind and then we can look a little closer and see what is the characteristic that's at play here. So tonight I'd like to talk about aversion and ill will, which is, um, it would be the part of the road trip where there's road rage, okay? So, <laughs> no, it's just not going the way I planned it. So, um, yeah. And, and nobody escapes this, by the way. So we all kind of bump into this uh, characteristic of aversion and ill will. I look at them, uh, aversion and ill will, as slightly different. Aversion can be something that is just a dislike. It could be mild and subtle, or it can be very gross. I, I just don't like that. It could be a policy or, or you know, the way the dog next door barks or I don't like it, it needs to stop, you know. We can have an aversion towards those things. Ill will is, is almost like it, it takes it to another level. It's not only do I not like it, but it needs to be annihilated <laughs> immediately. <laughs> Let me figure out how I can stomp it out. So it has a bit more charge to it and then it's uh, the intention behind it has is, 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 is got a bit more of a poison in it. It's the stuff that wars are made of. So if you put a little power with your, you know, ill will, if you've got any power that you can add to it, it can be quite a force, not only in our marketplace world, but also in our own hearts and minds. So uh, the Buddha talks about them together. The, um, I want to talk a little bit about the shape that aversion and ill will takes out in the marketplace and how it informs our sitting practice, how it has the kind of momentum that can inform of the frequent visitors in our, in our sitting practice. And then I'll speak to how we go back out into the marketplace. So um, the, the characteristic, uh, the, these, the, 
in Buddhist psychology, there's uh, certain uh, types. We have, a, in Buddhist psychology, we call them aversive types and uh, greedy types and delusional types. And some people do a lot of fun exercises with this typology. And they're kind of constructions or ego constructions that take a certain shape uh, as a result of our conditioning. We have a propensity towards being a greedy type in the world or a propensity or a habit energy towards ha being an aversive type or being a delusional type. So we can start to see that that's kind of how we respond to what life offers in our, in our world. So aversion um, and ill will has a certain form and characteristic out in the marketplace. I happen to be an aversive type. For many years, I was very proud of this. I, I didn't think there was anything wrong. The, the world was a problem, but for the most part, I was pretty right about what I was doing, even <laughs> wrote a book about it. I mean, you know, I mean, I, you know, we're judge, jury, and everything else when it comes to these aversive types. But the characteristic that we see in the world is someone that's critical, judgmental, can be um, uh, highly controlling, um, righteous, angry, can be belligerent, or could just hold the energy of belligerence, where you you know you've been around people that are so hot, you you think the teapot's going to explode right in front of you. They don't have to say anything. You can feel the intensity, and you just want to move away. Very much in this characteristic is a sense of the energy creating a line, drawing a line in our lives, making a mark. You know, you over there, me over here. You know, so it's a uh, energy that's about division and uh, top and down and us and them. That's very much a part of it. The, the conditioning around the aversive type, as, as with any of these types, is a real hard groove in the heart-mind, a deep, deep groove in the heart-mind. So it's a strong, uh, what Titnet Han would call, habit energy in terms of our relatedness to the world. There's a sense of distrust, distrust. There's a fine sense of being able to notice rather immediately what's wrong and to have a solution for it, by the way. Um, the entire nervous system is hardwired to uh, be on the lookout, to be uh, alert and charged and ready uh, for battle. Um, there's an addiction to intensity that's characteristic of aversive types. Uh, it's just a, 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 a comfort actually with this discomfort and conflict. Uh, it's not so much an issue. In fact, if it's not there, there's a certain anxiety that's present. So, um, and, and it's, it's kind of the energy of bullies, you know, somebody that is uh, uh, actually blames a lot but feels very isolated and alone in it. And the other characteristic in the marketplace of the aversion and ill will types is the characteristic of doing battle mostly with the people you love and need a sense of not being able to tolerate 
uh, or trust the intimacy that is inherent in relating to other people. So some of the things that will really um, ignite an adversive type is, uh, this would be the attitude. Uh, don't accuse me of being incompetent, needy, or helpless. Those are no-nos. Don't expect me to explain myself or apologize for what I said. Don't mess up my plans. Don't make a mistake. You won't get away with it. And don't expect me to follow the rules. I make my own rules. So these are kind of the marketplace postures. But what's underneath that is a big secret and it has to do with intimacy. We tend to push away what's painful and we don't allow intimacy with ourselves or others because we can't control the variable. We can't control it from not changing. So there's a certain intolerance to impermanence or allergic reaction that we have to things changing, especially if the heart is deeply involved. So we cling to loved ones very tightly or we cut them off completely because we're afraid of being disappointed and afraid of the vulnerability that goes with that. So the hard cover is actually covering something very soft and tender. So the avoidance of the aversive types avoid intimacy through criticism and blame but there is a deeper calling underneath. So we come from the marketplace and we bring our lives with us into the retreats. And we sit and when we get still, we start to remember. We start to remember a deeper truth, something that lies underneath the cover of our lives. So we begin to explore. Sometimes we're startled by what we see by what comes up, by what we remember. And the Buddha talks about how suffering is meant to be known, to be touched, to know, to be known intimately, not to be held onto, but to know. And sometimes we want to pass over what's uncomfortable and get over to the good stuff, the spiritual stuff, the nice um, delight. But I think what happens is when we sit, we can feel some of the things that we really don't like and don't want to see or wish never happened. Uh, We we come face to face with that and it touches us again, but this time with new resources. So I love what Gil said earlier today about respect and that the meaning of respect was to re-inspect, to return uh, to uh, a sense of um, what I, where I went with that was to honor and respect our experiences. I think that when we sit on the cushion and we start to remember what we're rooted in, it's important to bow to it, to be willing to allow it and to also open to, to the gift of it. And that's a way that I relate to this respect word. 
So I invite you to just reflect for a moment of what, what do you bring to the cushion? What deep roots do you, sits right with you, right next to you? When I sit sometimes, I can remember um, that I start to thaw out a bit and I start to feel um, some of the early fears from being raised in the civil rights movement, just in the thick of all of the heat of that time, and all the bravery and fear that seemed to, to permeate my environment. Sometimes when I sit, I can feel the tension of, of the holding that was atmospheric at that time. Sometimes when I sit, I can start to uh, touch into the ways I didn't grieve how my father was murdered when I was 17 years old. I start to touch into, uh, I, I have a capacity now and a practice now that allows me to be with that in more of a tender way. So the body kind of knows that. So it just says, oh yeah, we can go there now. You know, I can finally come out. I can finally thaw out. My body can finally have a relief from the holding of that for so many years. Sometimes I think when we sit, we get in touch with how we carry what's unfinished in our lineage, in our ancestors. In African spirituality, it's said that whatever is not finished and grieved is reborn. So you look for it in the next newborn baby. You look for it to return. And once it's cared for, the whole community feels relief. So sometimes when I sit, I touch into that that there's kind of a template or, or a structure that I'm holding that's older than I am, that needs my loving attention. And that the holding of it has been a form of aversion towards what I actually embody and am here to do. So we all sit with our histories, our herstories, however you want to say it. And it starts to kind of reawaken us to what it means to be human. It allows us to touch the suffering of the past and also touch in to how we're living and responding to life in the present moment. Sometimes we come to the cushion, you know, for different reasons. Sometimes we're curious. Uh, sometimes uh, we've had losses in our lives and the things we've done in the past no longer work. Um, and sometimes it's from, from just deep, deep, deep suffering that we're, we're trying to have a different relationship with. Sometimes we come because a friend said, you need to go, and you just trust them and go. <laughs> and you're indebted with that friend forever. Sometimes there's not knowing why you come, but there's an itch, there's kind of a discontent that you're curious about. So then we get here and we sit and we begin our practice. And what's been cut off starts to want some union. Aversion and ill will is a very heavy armor to, to carry. It's, it's a heavy weight and we, we feel it. I can remember once being on a concentration retreat 
and uh, I had gotten myself still enough to to um, to where the stories and everything had just kind of faded away in the background. And what I started to feel was the soreness in my body that had been holding the tension. It was like I had big places of just achiness in my body because I was no longer holding the story, so the body was finally having a chance to relax. It was a wonderful relief in an odd kind of way. It hurt so good, is kind of what they say. <laughs> So aversion covers um, a sense of frustrated desire, and, and it oftentimes can represent something that's unfinished. Sometimes aversion will show up on the cushion with us, um, and it'll only be there for a little while. Other times, it's just kind of a constant companion. So, so you might as well just set a, set a seat for it right next to you so that the next time it comes, it has a place of honor and you're not so surprised. You can just say, oh yeah, over here, <laughs> sit down. <laughs> I love you. Sit here, sit close, tell me all about it. Ultimately, the stories that aversion and ill will have to tell us is around sadness, perhaps some grief, something forgotten that's really needing our attention. And sometimes it just needs to be acknowledged. So I want to offer a few strategies for working with this on the, on the cushion, some ways to um, be kind to this energy that can really kind of knock us off our, off our seat. One thing that's really helpful, I find, in working with aversion and ill will is, is, to, is to set an intention or to be clear of your intention when you sit to practice or sometimes setting a simple intention because part of what we have to do is kind of break our loyalty to, to kind of going there again and again and again. And sometimes it's useful to do that with an intention. A simple intention like, um, may I be kind. May I be kind during this sit. May I be gentle with myself during this, during this sit. May I notice the ways that I'm beginning to harden in, during this sit. May I be less judgmental, less critical of myself during this sit. So a simple intention so that you can have that uh, remind yourself when you're sitting of what's happening. When we set an intention, we become more alert and it helps us, um, it, it's almost like a contrast to what we might be doing. We can say, oh yeah, that's quite, that's, it's not my intention. It inclines the mind to, um, in a direction that's more wholesome. So that's a simple thing that just helps you uh, realign, you know, what's the restart button uh, that you can push. It's also useful to uh, tend to the breath throughout the sit, when, especially when aversion is, is uh, raising its, its head, to, to make contact with the breath, especially the exhale 
to notice the beginning, middle, and end of an exhale can be really useful when you are dealing with an intense emotion like aversion. The exhale also has the ability to kind of cool the system from the inside to put your attention on the exhale, has the ability to cool down the heat. I like what Rumi says. He says you have to keep breathing your heart until it opens. And that's a nice way to just kind of uh, self-support um, yourself during the sit. Another strategy that's really useful that a number of you may have heard about is RAIN, the acronym RAIN, R-A-I-N. And it has to do with recognize, allow, investigate, and non-identification. So I'd like to walk you through how each of those can support um, a kinder journey with aversion and ill will. So the R, R represents recognize. So right in the heat of an aversive uh, or ill will thought that emerges, that kind of occupies, you can recognize right then and there what's going on, what's happening. Recognize the form and the shape that aversion is taking in that moment you might just ask yourself the question, what's happening? What's happening right here, right now? Like a child, aversion wants to be called by its rightful name and, um, and also wants to be seen. So it's not a time to turn away unless it's unbearable, but to just face and say, yes, I see you. What is my experience right now? Is it a, a thought, an emotion? Is it a sensation? What is informing me right now that I am dealing with aversion and ill will? What's happening? So, um, sometimes just the recognition of it is enough. It kind of pierces the bubble of aversion just to be called what it is. Yeah, I get it. Anxious, tight, frustrated, angry, blaming. Sometimes that's enough just to name it. But usually it's not. Usually we have to go a little further. <laughs> Never so simple. And so then there's the allowing it to be there, allowing it to be just what it is. To allow is to accept what is right now, what it is right now without judgment. Can I allow? This is where that exhale really can serve. You can exhale and say, yes, welcome. Welcome. I see you. The question we ask with allow is, can I be with this right now? 
Can I bear this experience right now? Can I be with it? Can I be with it with this breath? Can I be with it with the next breath? Can I be with this right now? If you can't be with this experience, if you can't bear it, then it's good to back off and just go back to the breath or go back to something that feels very solid. But if you can allow it, you can say yes. You don't want to say yes if you're feeling unbalanced or um, kind of too frightened because it shocks the nervous system and then we we got to do double duty <laughs> so it's useful to genuinely ask yourself the question can I be with this right now can I be with this discomfort right now sometimes that's enough to just be with it you don't need to go any further you can just rest right there with insistent aversion, usually we need to keep going. So then we move into investigating our experience. And it's not just investigating our experience, it's an intimate exploration of the experience of aversion. It's a shift from our head into what's happening in the body. It's a shift from the story we have about aversion to the experience that's, that's uh, in motion inside the body. All thoughts have roots in the body. Uh, and so we're, we're moving away from the thought we have of aversion to seeing where the legs are, how it's experienced in the body. Sometimes we might pause here and explore uh, where am I feeling uh, the sensations most alive here in my body? Where, where is it happening? It could be an image. It could be a memory. It could be a sense of um, um, uh, something that feels heavy or dark or light and wavy. I mean, we, we can start looking at the characteristics of how this is actually living in the body. There's a tracking that we're doing here with the investigation. So this is a witnessing activity where we're, we're noticing and touching the movements of mind that's occurring throughout the body. The other thing that's happening with this investigation, with this uh, intimate investigation is we're actually having a, an experience with impermanence. We're noticing also how things are changing moment to moment. One of the things you get in touch with as you track the experience is that it's changing all the times. And here is where you can also notice when the intensity of a, in aversion and ill will is not so predominant. There is um, a time perhaps, and often we're just not always used to noticing it, when the intensity of aversion is not there, it's actually ceased. Sometimes, especially with aversion types, we're so accustomed to seeing what's wrong, that's where the focus is. We're not accustomed to seeing when it subsides, when it's no longer predominant. 
So one of the things we can do as we are investigating our experience is notice when it's when it subsides. Notice the space that's there that opens after the intensity has lessened. It's, it's there. We just don't. We're not always accustomed to seeing it. And that's a real time of release. That's a real time of freedom when we notice that contrast. Intimate investigation allows us to cultivate more tolerance for the present moment and how it's constantly changing. So we're sitting with this change. We're sitting with the um, movements of mind and being touched by them and also noticing when they subside. So that's the intimate investigation of experience. Sometimes that's enough. We don't have to do much else after that. But there's one more thing you could do in this journey, and this is the, the end, the non-identification with the experience. And here um, we're turning our attention to witnessing uh, what's occurring and exploring uh, what, what you could do about it. You know, it's like, what is this experience actually asking of me? What's needed here? What is this aversion needing from me? Sometimes aversion needs a kind eye, somebody to just allow it to be there and to hear its stories, whatever it might be. The mindfulness, attention that we can bring to the situation could be a lovely offering to aversion. So we might just pause here and ask, what, what is it that you need from me? So it could be that aversion needs some kindness, some metta. So you can imagine yourself offering this aversion kindness. You can see that in your mind's eye and then see what happens when you do that. So if you're offering kindness, then you can then see how that changes the experience. So this is the simple format of RAIN. Recognize the aversion. Allow it to be present if you can. Investigate it with heart. Staying close in with it. And then non-identification with what's happening. Offering it what it needs. The antidote, the Buddha teaches that, the, that one of the things that supports aversion is metta, loving kindness, loving kindness practice. And this is, I know, especially been true for me in my own experience, my own practice of coming from a tremendous amount of um, 
uh, rage in, in my life and my upbringing and so many things that to, to kind of stumble into metta was a, a real uh, shocking um, revelation that worked me from the inside out. It was, it was not a concept I was living with. It was a direct experience that actually changed my life. And I was first introduced to the notion to it, n not as, as metta, but as a soft spot in my uh, studies in the Tibetan tradition. Shoyan Trumpa Rinpoche uh, talks about the soft spot. He talks about it as a tenderness we can't cover up, avoid, or deny. And the image I always had of it is, uh, is a little tender spot at the top of the baby's head when they're little... You know, when they come into the world, there's a little spot up there that's really soft, a little dent. I can still feel mine, actually. <laughs> uh, so we have this soft spot. Pema Schroden says it this way. She says, um, um, the soft spot is the weak link in the hard boundary of the ego structure. It's the soft spot is the weak link in the hard boundary of the ego structure. And we might try to cover it up with all our might, but you really can't escape the access of, and the power that tenderness can have in your life. It can penetrate um, regardless of our cover. So for me, it was this idea of a soft spot that supported me in knowing that uh, I had been kidding myself with this hard cover of uh, aversion throughout my life. And the Buddha taught from a boundless heart. In the Heart Sutta, the Buddha says, one should cultivate a boundless mind towards all beings and friendliness towards the entire world. Throughout one's waking life, one should practice this mindfulness. His offering to us and his teachings was from a boundless heart, a generous heart, a heart of metta. And he taught these four forms of love um, that are kind of known as the Brahma Viharas. And metta, loving kindness, is uh, the first one that's talked about. It's described as uh, loving kindness, but it's also described as friendliness. And one definition that I heard of it was to grow fat with friendliness. And it's like, okay, I can really relate to that one these days. <laughs> but it's the intentional offering of goodwill towards yourself and towards others. And it's a boundless state of heart-mind. Uh, the late Dr. Amaya Angelou says that love has no boundaries. It jumps hurdles, leaps fences, penetrates walls, and arrives at its destination full of hope. So this sense of just far-extending radiance of heart um, that touches everything without qualification, indiscriminate, as if the high noon sun touching all. 
is the antidote to aversion and ill will. It is the medicine, if you will. It is the infusion that you want when you find yourself entangled in this. And metta is a technology. I see it as a technology. It's a software upgrade we put into the hard wiring of our conditioning. <laughs> and, um, and there's a learning curve with it where we learn through practice how to use this software uh, to soften in our lives. So it is indeed a practice. What we're doing when we practice metta is we're controlling the climate by setting the thermostat to kindness. And we are readying the mind to embrace what arises in an atmosphere of warmth. So this is the balancing uh, offering for uh, aversion and ill will. And it's a simple practice. It's not always so easy. As some of you know, it, it has four classic phases to it. May I be safe? May I be happy? May I be healthy? And may I live with ease? It's kind of the simple framing of it. So it's simple. But it's not easy because we don't always feel loving and kind. Especially when you're dealing with aversion. It's like, what? Not today, not right now. I'm not finished with what I'm doing. I can remember uh, uh, setting an intention and doing metta practice for uh, several months. And um, this was a, a few years ago. And I got off the phone with one of those customer service calls with my computer that wasn't working. And I'd been on the phone all day. <laughs> and I remembered slamming the phone down, and not just once, but then killing the desk with it, you know. <laughs> you know. And my partner walked by the room and she said, way to go, Dharma teacher. <laughs> and, <I was> like <laughs> it was just the moral shame I needed to snap out of it. <laughs> and she kept going. She wasn't about to stop. <laughs> but I think the last thing she said was the YouTube is rolling. And then I just really got scared. <laughs> So that's the power of setting an intention. You set an intention and then somebody, somebody, uh, sometimes not always you, gets to snap you back in alignment with what you said you're intending. It was a really nice wake up. It's like, oh my gosh. So um, be careful what you ask for, right? So, yeah, so we don't always feel this loving and kindness, um, you know. But um, but what we're doing when we practice is we're opening a field, a bit more space for us to know intimately what's possible 
with a with a willing heart. When we practice metta, we get to see that uh, we get to see closely when the heart is opening and when it's closing, when it's gripped and when it's released, when things are warm or a little chilly, when we are opening up or closing down. With the, with the right atmosphere, we can relax a bit and see more clearly what's actually happening. And when things are too difficult, then uh, we can practice metta with metta. May I be kind to myself in this moment of suffering or struggle. May I learn to be kind to myself during my own suffering. And with metta practice, we become, uh, it, it becomes the way we are instead of something we're doing on the cushion. It becomes, again, the atmosphere that's really, really important. So, with aversion and ill will, it's useful to have a tender way of investigating the experience that you're having. Um, we're poking around um, the heart when we're looking at aversion and ill will. It, the, the aversion and ill will has legs. It has stories and emotion. And um, there's information there for us to bow to, for us to pay homage to, not in a clinging way, but in a clear seeing way, so that it cannot uh, continue to kind of morph into something, something else. So we, we have a sense of this shifting in the outer world when we can acknowledge to ourselves and others that we are hurt and afraid. That's not something the aversive type tends to do very quickly. When we become less controlling and judgmental of others and ourselves, in our relationships, in what we see across the room, how we judge other people, and in our own minds and hearts, when the judgment lessens. We're relaxing and knowing aversion and ill will more intimately when we can um, uh, genuinely open to how we are interrelated and how we impact each other. That what I carry and what I do next actually has an impact on the collective and climate that we're in. And when we can be more accepting of things not being perfect or the way we think it should be when there's a softening around that we're starting to loosen our grip with this over identification with aversion and Ill, Ill will and when we can experience our truth instead of defending it all the time can experience it without necessarily a story The Buddha said that the um, freedom from aversion and Ill, Ill will was like being healthy after a long illness. Being healthy after a long illness. And the Buddha also said that uh, 
with metta as this antidote, the willingness to train our heart, is the highest devotion that we can have. So when we bring our heart, when we cultivate our heart, it's a deep devotion, the highest devotion, and it supports our ability to relax and allow the uh, rising and subsiding of aversion and ill will to come and go without being gripped by it. So let's sit for a few minutes together with this information. I'll offer a little metta while we're sitting here these last 15 minutes. So take a moment here and recall a time of loving presence. It could be not so much uh, a person or a situation necessarily, but a moment, just a moment of loving presence that you've experienced in your life. And imagine that person or that pet or that offer sitting right before you, taking joy in you and wishing you well. Just relaxing into this reflection of that moment in time, that loving moment, and feel into it as if it's right here before you. Notice what's happening in the body and with the breath. And riding the rhythm of your exhale as you receive this offer and this reflection. Feel the happiness and the joy of this offer. Allow every cell in your body to receive this moment.
It's really taking your time to fully receive and be touched by this reflection. Staying close in. Allowing yourself to bear the goodness of this reflection. Now allow the image of the person or the pet to just fade away. Whatever the image was, just let it fade away, but maintain the essence of the intimacy that was exchanged. Allowing whatever experience is there, even if it's slight, appreciating the glimmers of love. Resting in this awareness. And from this place of remembrance of that moment of being touched by love and kindness. Staying with that as an atmosphere, I'll offer these phrases. May I be safe. May I be safe from inner and outer harm. May I be safe. May I be healthy. 
If I can't be healthy, may I accept my body just as it is. May I accept my thoughts. May I be healthy. May I be healthy or may I be happy and content? May I be happy and content? Content with what is. May I be content? May I live with ease. May I live with ease. May I live with ease. May all beings, without exception, be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be healthy and strong to the degree possible. May all beings experience joy and contentment. May all beings live with ease be free from suffering.
taking these last few minutes to experience the genuineness of your offer of metta to yourself and others. To experience the good intention of this offer. Thank you for your kind attention. <laughs> 